Hey, everybody. This is episode eight of the Movement is Medicine podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Carr. And in this episode, Brendan and I had a lot of fun, probably too much fun. Um, and we talked about a couple of different topics, the main one being Turkish getups. We talked about, about some controversy around the topic of programming and coaching Turkish getups uh, based on some recent social media um, discussions. Um, and, you know, are they valuable? Are they overrated? Should we program them? We talked about all of that and give our own personal perspectives about using that specific exercise. And then we also talked about programming warm-up sets. How do we program warm-up sets for exercise in different contexts with athletes, with adults, with powerlifters? How to think about programming warm sets in your programming, as well as our typical book recommendations. This episode's about an hour long. It was one of my favorite. Lots of laughs. Um, hope you enjoy it. And thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Movement as Medicine podcast with Kevin Carr and my amazing co-host, Brendan Rerick. This is a Sunday night recording, so we switched from coffee um, to alcoholic beverages. This is a uh, 617 Lager, new release by our sponsor, Lord Hobo Brewing Company. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is Does Miller Lite have a problem with the new sponsor? Listen, I, I got to go with I got to go with whoever's taking care of me. Listen. All right, that's true. If, if Miller Lite ships me a bunch of beer next week, maybe this is a Miller Lite podcast. All but right, that's fair. I, was I wish I had a lot the bottle that week. I'm uh I wish I had the bottle that I was drinking from. It's a Trader yeah. Joe's special, uh 14.95. <laughs> it's very good, but I can't remember nice. I can't remember the name of it. So, but yeah, I'm drinking I'm drinking red wine for anybody who's listening and not watching the YouTube. Well, um, it's good to see you. Brendan is uh, fresh yeah. back from a weekend in Tahoe. My weekend was not nearly as exciting uh, yeah. as yours. So uh, do you enjoy yourself out there? All your limbs are intact? We, we did. Yes. I uh, I didn't fall once. So knock on wood. That's a win. I, I always tell people that uh, if, if like skiing is like my golf game. So in golf, I've had a great day on the course if I didn't lose my ball. Like I could, I could shoot horribly, but if I use the same ball for all 18 holes, it was a win. Play it safe. And it's the same thing with my skiing. If I don't fall once, it was a great day skiing, whether mm. the conditions were horrible or I only skied the bunny hill. I don't care as long as I didn't fall. So it was a wonderful time and rain learned to snowboard uh, well enough that she can ride down the hill and stop. Uh, and she's she needs to work on her turns a little bit, but next time we go up, she'll be able to start with the greens and make her ways to the blue. So it was a great success. Very and good. I made it. Very good. I made it here Sunday at five p.m. Yeah, I'm impressed. That's what that's what's nice living uh, where you live. You could shoot out to the mountains, and now you're back in uh, sunny California, just like that. Yeah, just like that. Yeah, I was cool. 75 here in Brentwood today, and I was on a mountain late well, yesterday the <laughs> so the weather continues to suck in boston so uh I I so um <laughs> well yeah Let's we got some on. good stuff <laughs> on tap for this week um you know i, I think we tried to one to this week kind of make it a current event based podcast as uh there was a big kerfluffle in the strength and conditioning community drink over drink to uh, kerfluffle. Over, <laughs> cheers that's a good vocab word it's um, a great vocab word. Just so everybody knows, that. we play a game that if you use a really good vocab word, like, it, okay, so what's a good vo vocab word? 
it's a word that you you could have picked something easier, but you chose the more difficult word or a word that you're not used to using, like kerfluffle. You have to drink the kerfluffle. So yeah, I mean we drink anyways, but um, <laughs> there's a big kerfuffle over Turkish getups. Um, if you follow any social media um, regarding fitness or strength conditioning, and it really kind of based out of uh, a men's fitness Instagram post, you know, very kind of clickbaity in in the way they did it. Um, where, you know, there's a lot of like red X's and things. And it was it essentially said like Turkish getups are overrated or you shouldn't program Turkish getups because uh, for a variety of reasons, not a great exercise, hard to coach, um, you know, technically difficult to learn, um, not a lot of bang for your buck, so to speak, I think was kind of their overall message. And it was definitely one that they put together to get engagement. And if that was the goal, they were very successful. Um, because if there's one thing to bring the kettlebell mafia out in full force, it is to say something bad about the all holy Turkish getup uh, for the kettlebell community. Because I think there is nothing that they hold in a higher regard than the Turkish mm-hmm. getup exercise. And so if the the reaction to that was very strong <laughs> from the kettlebell people, in which there was a flurry of posts from pretty much everybody uh, in like the kettlebell syndicate, <laughs> as I would call them, um, <laughs> freaking out at men's fitness for saying it was an overrated exercise. And I just thought it was a really interesting thing to watch because um, I try to position myself on the outside uh, and, and watch these things take place. It's very typical fitness community where somebody has a not very nuanced opinion about something and then the opposite side responds with a also not very nuanced opinion in in retaliation and it's two people two groups of people just kind of screaming into the void about an exercise of all things uh yeah and so i think it highlighted a couple of things that we wanted to talk about today one uh something we've talked about before like the clickbaity nature of social media but then also people's emotional attachments to exercises which i think are always very funny um and then kind of where do we stand uh, in the middle, like what, what is our perspective on the whole thing? So it, it was very funny to, to kind of observe. So we figured it'd be a good current, current event topic for us to discuss here today. Yeah. The, uh, the answer, <laughs> is it overrated is yes and no. Right. It, so the better question would have been, is it overrated for who? Um, mm-hmm. and I could tell you right now, and We've done this at MBSC before with group training. The Turkish get-up is not a good group I like that you called it a get-up. Like, you sound like you're from the South. Get-up. 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 The Turkish get-up is not a good exercise for group training. The amount of time that it takes to get somebody competent at this drill is not worth it over an hour training session. Um, Also, not everybody is able to get up and down off the ground easily, which takes a lot of time. You know what they're going to say if you say that, right? That's why you need to do it. (sighs) That's why you need to do it. Yes, I understand that. But if we're going to go back to this minimal effective dose idea, if I can get the same uh, outcomes or results from doing other things that are easier to do, simpler to teach, 
uh, and better for the group as a whole, I'm going to do those things instead. And that means that for me, the Turkish getup takes a backseat because it is difficult to teach it the amount of kettlebells that you need from a weight perspective, uh, the complaints that you get, and then the amount of, if there's one of me and 12 people in front of me, it is not a good exercise in that regard. So, and it, and it's funny because like, as it pertains to the teaching and technique piece of it, I, I almost am straddled on both sides of this because it is to do it to the standard that like, most of the kettlebell people are like RKC or SFG, whatever certification people take, like to the standard that they teach that like you would do it if I saw you perform it or myself or many other strength coaches would do it. It's hard to get a general population person to do it well and pay attention to details, especially in a group setting. If they're not invested in learning kettlebell skills and they're just someone who is wants to learn, wants to come and exercise, to getting them to be mindful about those things, especially in a group setting, can be difficult. Um, and so if that's the standard that you want to keep it to, it's very, very difficult to coach like 10 or 12 people at once, who are all beginners, especially. Um, but on the other side of things, and I posted about this like a couple weeks ago, um, coincidentally, that like I'm not really a stickler <laughs> for how people necessarily do a getup. Yes, I have them roll and I have them post, and I have them lift, but I posted a video of Stu and Nancy doing get-ups with like those medicine balls with the handles. And yeah, I'm sure Pavel would have looked at it probably disapprovingly. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I, I mean, it looked pretty good to me for two people in their eighties. And like my expressed goal was like, I just want them to be able to like pick up their body and then get back down. And we don't even do a full get-up, like to give you context, most of the time, in a group setting, because we do sometimes put them in groups in MBSC, we just do them to the bridge. I think 90% of the value in that exercise is probably the roll in the bridge and then go mm -hmm. back down, especially because once they start stepping underneath, that's where they get all screwed up. And so for me, as far if the goal is, hey, I want to help these people be able to get up out of bed in the morning or get up off the ground if they have a fall, the roll to the bridge probably gets you there for most people. So I kind of go back and forth because it's easier to teach if you're just like, hey, I, I want you to put the weight in your hand, roll to your elbow, post, and lift. Then probably a little bit easier. But if you're really going to pick apart every little piece, then it becomes exponentially more difficult to teach. And so um, I know the real kettlebell type people really are sticklers for that. And I get it, especially if you're going to pick a big weight up over your head. That, that really matters. But the average person in a group setting is probably not going to do that, nor do they really care about doing that right they really probably just come because they want to feel a little better or get in shape or whatever and we're going to give them tools to do that and maybe that isn't the best tool in that setting uh to, to get that job done just taking notes yeah over and here with, I'll, uh, I'll kind of keep going while you're writing yeah, yeah, your yeah. notes down um the thing the other thing that that kind of men's health thing post kind of touched on was how it like it's kind of a general exercise right the thing about good general exercises, like the Turkish getup is a really good general exercise because it develops a lot of qualities to a lower medium degree, right? It's, they'll tell you how great it is because it does all these things, right? It helps with your thoracic mobility and your shoulder mobility and your shoulder stability and your core strength and your shoulder strength. But it's not the best at any of those things, right? 
it's really good at doing all those to a low degree. So I find it exercises like that are great warm-up exercises. Like I like a Turkish get-up in a warm-up and as a movement prep because it helps you start to prep all those qualities to a low degree. But if you wanted to build the strongest shoulders possible, uh, an overhead press would probably be better. Or if you wanted yeah. to build the strongest legs possible, a uh, split squat. Like there is some lunge qualities in Turkish get-up, but a lunge or a split squat would probably be better. If you wanted to focus on solely training your abdominal exercises, there's a whole bunch of ones that are isolated abdominal exercises that might develop those better. And I could keep going on any of those qualities. But what I think a lot of the people who use, who say, like, I don't like get-ups – say it because of that reason, because they think about developing a specific quality to the maximum degree. And that exercise might not be the best for that. That exercise is really good at making you better at Turkish get-ups. And so that's the other thing. If you look at the kettlebell community's perspective is they really care about developing kettlebell skills. And if that's what you want to do, you should definitely do Turkish get-ups. It's just like the powerlifting yeah. people who get upset when we say we don't back squat. Um, they're like, well, the back squat's great. I'm like, yeah, if you want to get good at back squatting, it's a really, really good tool to do that. And you should do that then. And so it's the same thing. And it's funny because it's the same, it's the two crowds of people that typically argue about these things are saying the same things from their own side of the fence, right? Like it's the powerlifting strength athlete community who are like, oh, Turkish get-ups are useless or dumb. Uh, they, they're, you know, they're, they, they don't really develop that quality, those qualities to a high degree. They're the same people who get mad when we don't, we say we don't back squat for the same <laughs> reasons. And so it's just really funny to me, uh, when you kind of take a higher level view at it, you're like, it's just, they're just tools, right? And so we could work any of those things into our programming at the right time, at the right place. So when people get emotionally attached to, you know, a certain exercise, it just seems kind of weird to me. Um, but I get it. I think with Turkish, with the kettlebell community, there's a strong tie to those exercises that they do to graduate from RKC or S SFG, right? Because like there's a lot of work and money that went into mm -hmm. getting that certification. And so you're, there's, it, there's probably a connection emotionally to those things for them. Um, but when it comes to programming for other people other than yourself, you probably need to push those things to the side and choose tools that might be better fit in those circumstances for that client. All right. So I, I have, I wrote a lot of notes down while you spoke okay. and I'm going to start kind of randomly here. Now, this is the same thing I think about the windmill exercise. The kettlebell community loves to do the windmill exercise. Um, I love it for myself. Teaching it to somebody who doesn't move very well, who is most of the people that are going to pay us for training um, or athletes who don't have great attention spans, the windmill is a poor choice for a large majority of the people who pay me money to train them. Um, mm -hmm. It's a great drill for hip hinge, side bending, uh, side, side strength or lateral core strength, shoulder stability. Like you said, there's a lot of great things that come with it. It's just really difficult to teach. Uh, you have to have a lot of moving parts that go into that uh, to make it, to get out of it what you want. And 
as you mentioned, it's a wonderful warm-up drill. But windmill, windmill and TGU just make you better at windmill and TGU. Like there's not like the the qualities. You're getting a bunch of, like you said, medium qualities. You're not reaching the nth degree of strength or power uh, for that drill. And so, yeah, maybe it's good mm -hmm. for a certain group of people, right? If we're looking at context. But in a context of group training, and if I'm trying to make a really strong and powerful athlete, I'm going to choose other things based off of how much time I have and the tools I have available to me. Uh, and mm -hmm. the other thing that I heard you say is it's not about what I like. Like, just because you like TGUs and you like to do windmills and you like to train kettlebells doesn't mean that's the best thing for the individual that's standing in front of you a group that's standing in front of you or what that individual group's goals are, right? Like, so me trying to press upon you, my kettlebell stuff might not be the best thing for you. Um, I'll go back to what you said about if you do a poor get up, it's like being able to get up and down off the ground is a very, very important um, skill we'll call to have, especially as you age. Um, and I can't remember the name of the test right now, but the Brazilian test where you're able to get out from. We did it in our staff meeting last week. Did you? What is it called? What's the name of the test called? It's a up down up down test. The up down test. So, can how many limbs does it take for you to get up and down? Like you should be able to go from the sides of your feet to standing. We'll put it in the show notes. I'm a but 10, if you Brendan. Put a, I'm a 10. Oh, you're a 10 out of 10? All right. So if you put an elbow down, that makes you a 9. If you put a hand down, that makes you an 8. If you put, if you have to roll over your stomach, that makes you a 6. I don't know. They have a whole scoring system. I, well, we, so it's funny. Mike played the video like of the guy <laughs> talking about it. I don't know why this like came up. Because this was something that came up like a few years ago. I it was it a strengthcoach.com uh, oh, post, actually, that Charlie was. Charlie Reed made about uh, training the general population. Well, so like and, Mike Pitt played the video, and the guy talking about it was so blunt. He was like, if you have uh, more than four points subtracted during this uh, drill, you will die within the next 10 years. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if it's Man. that cut and dry, but I like his direct delivery on the, on the topic. Well, okay. So getting up and down is a very important thing as you age and it can dictate or not dictate, but uh, there's very, very good evidence and there's studies tied to this, that the more mm -hmm. joints or things you have to use to get up off the ground, the earlier you will die or the more likely you are die to die in within the next 10 years. Uh, we'll yep. put that in the show notes. I can't remember the name of it, but so that means teaching the getup can be a very important thing, but does it have to be to the degree that some people say like it has to be done with weight? It has to be done in this seven step process. You have to roll to the elbow. You have to go to the hand, you have to bridge, you have to sweep, you have to split squat and you have to stand. And then you have to do the whole thing in reverse. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I if get you want to like, do a Turkish get up. Yes. If you want to get yes. people better at getting up and down, probably not. Right. Right. So uh, there's, there's the, 
the per like the perfection part of this, which I think you and I could we'll both say like we don't agree with like it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be kind of uh, I've never seen anyone get injured. Out the window with you and I a long time ago. Yes, so I've never seen anyone get hurt doing a Turkish getup. So that means to me that you can do it kind of poorly and still get a lot of benefits out of it. Now, yes, we're trying to get better each time we do it. We're trying to get more of the roll. We're trying to get more shoulder stability, shoulder mobility, all of that stuff. But even if you do it not so well, you're still going to get some good benefits out of it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas there's other exercise where I'm not willing to, we talked about risk versus reward. I'm not willing to risk the possibility of injury by letting you do it poorly. The TGUI mm-hmm. am. So therefore I guess, I like the drill for certain people. I like it for small groups or for personal training. I do it with some of my athletes as a warm-up drill, um, but I'm not really going to pursue the uh, the perfection of it, like the seven-step process that I believe it's SFG and RKC has, and I, I understand them. I've done them all, um, but the seven-step process, I that's how I teach it. I love systems. I love I love steps, but if they don't give it to me exactly as I ask, I'm I'm very lenient on this drill on the the Turkish getup. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, those those are my four my four points. Was the windmill is the same falls in the same bucket for me. I prefer it more as a warm up, as you mentioned. Uh, it's not about what you like anymore. So just because you like to do it doesn't mean that other people have to do it. Um, and a bad looking one isn't, isn't so bad. I, I, you'll get a lot of good benefits out of it. Yeah. And so I, I, that brought up a lot of things for me to think about here. And so, I mean, th- talking about the getting up and down, Dan, John talks about that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and so he, he does get up and down. That's not even a get up, right. He'll be like, Hey, you need to put your hands on your one hand on your hip and get up off the ground. You need to, uh, put your hand on your ankle and get up and down off the ground. Like, just out of different positions, right? And that in itself is v- valuable because not everyone who's stuck on the ground is going to be like, let me roll to the post and like get up <laughs> this way. Now, I'm not to say that's not valuable. Again, if you want to lift the most weight possible from a supine position, that's definitely the best way to do it, right? Uh, but when we talk about getting up and down uh, from the ground, it's a skill, especially for older adults. Like when I talk about my older couple that I train, like the circuit I do with them in the uh, power and warm-up section, they'll do some side tosses. They do some ladder drills. I have them do a getup and I, I teach them like a traditional getup. But if like Stu's foot isn't in the perfect position, like I'm not like, Stu, like fix your foot. I'm like, oh, just get up and down. Like that's what I want to see that you're able to do. Um, and then they do some shoulder taps, right? And that, uh, that just having them do shoulder taps makes them get up and down off the ground. Another thing Dan John yeah. talked about was the idea of these up-down circuits, right? Just intentionally planning floor-based exercises paired with standing exercises in tri-sets or pairings or whatever it's going to be so that they have to just do it anyways, right? So it's just variable on how they get up and down. And um, so there's ways you can get that quality without necessarily going to get up to. And so if that is what you want to do and you don't want to program TGUs, then just pair push-ups or, you know, straight leg sit-ups or planks with squats or, uh, med ball throws or something else where they're on their feet and they're going to have to do that anyways. And so that's, that's a a good way. 
to kind of pair those things. The the TGU can broke it, be broken up into seven or, or six parts, depending on who you talk to, right? So there's the roll to the elbow. So you could just practice the roll to the elbow or do straight leg sit-ups or so mm-hmm. you could break it down into its smaller parts. Uh, and then you could do shoulder, like where you come up to your hand and you have the weight up. That's just a side plank. Then you have a bridge, which you could do just normal double leg or single leg bridging. Uh, you got the sweep. I'm trying to, I don't know really what would, uh, what you could compare to in the gym as a sweep. Uh, you got the split squat, right? So you can just do regular old split squats and the stand with your arm above your head. So you could do that with a weight or just have your arms up. So like you could break the whole TG, TGU down into six or seven exercises and sprinkle it across the workout. It doesn't have to be done as one drill or one exercise. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, can you combine the whole thing into all of its parts? Great. But again, like I need more context. Like, who are we working with? What's the coach to group ratio? What is this person's goals? Do I have 30 minutes? I'm probably not going to spend my time 30 minutes doing that. Um, so, yeah, there's just there needs to be more context that, as we talked about, the men's is it men's health or men's fitness? I think it was men's health. Sorry if I said men's fitness. Sorry, I think you one said of men's those fitness, magazines. One of those, one of those magazines, right? So people still buy magazines. I don't know. I think they're it's online subscriptions now. Um, but yeah, like so, yeah, they did it to be clickbaity, and the answer always lies somewhere in between. Seems to be the recurring theme of this podcast. Kind of going back <laughs> to the. Uh, talk about uh, emotional attachments to exercises and like me thinking about the two camps that I saw arguing about this thing. It's just so yeah. again, funny to me because whenever they highlight why you should do exercise X, whatever it is, they always like talk about or show examples of someone who's like a fitness person or a trainer doing the exercise or, or the people arguing are people who coach people online or train other people who are trainers. And so right. the problem with that is, your perspective on what the average client likes to do or can do well or has the attention span to learn is kind of slanted, right? Um, like the, the people who are like, oh, like we want to load heavy get-ups, the average, the average gym goer probably doesn't want to do that, nor has the attention the, span to learn that. The but number the, one the complaint. fitness professional does. Yeah. The number one we complaint we get about TGUs is it hurts my wrists. Right. So oh, yeah, if yeah. I got somebody yeah. pay me a hundred dollars an hour, I ain't going to make them do shit that hurts their wrist. Like, yeah, I get it. You can buy a wrist strap. Like you can tell them to suck it up. But again, think about this from a customer service perspective, right? Trainers are totally cool with beating themselves up. We're all, we're all sadists in some sort of <laughs> sick way. Like the only way you can enjoy training people is to watch other people be in pain and suffer and know that it's going to make them better. Like that's part of our job. So therefore we like to torture ourselves, but just because you enjoy the pain of a heavy kettlebell on your wrist doesn't mean that little Johnny or grandma or mm-hmm. your client that's paying you a hundred and whatever dollars per hour likes that, right? You do, but they don't. Yeah. Um, and so, but it's the same thing. Sorry, like I, the, the powerlifting crap though. Like they're like, Oh no, like th- this back heavy back squats are great. Yeah. They, Cause you like them, 
But the majority of clients don't really care to do that. And in, in, in my experience, most of them are like, yeah, like, I mean, if we could just do something different, I'd do that. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, it, it, it's, it's always the perspective is important. And so I always say, tell people, like, go look at an average group of people who show up to train. They're probably 40 to 60. They probably train twice a week for an hour each. And they probably have a myriad of injuries that they brought back in to train with them. Um, and their attention span to what you're doing isn't that great. So, like, we have to find tools to get the result we want with the minimum effective dose, again, and the the easiest path to getting it done. And then you have those all-star clients, those people who really take a like to training, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, they really – they read articles. They come to you and they ask questions. That's not going to be the majority of people. Those are your all-star clients. Those are the people you post on Instagram. Those are the people that you use as your examples. But that's not the majority of people. So, um Again, context is really important. And so, like, for instance, like, I've, I, I, we used to do a lot of get ups. Like, you, me, Marco, I remember, like, we were like, all right, who can do a get up with the 40? And we all worked until we could do a get up, like, with the 40 kilo belt. And that took a lot of work and a lot of attention, a lot of, like, time to get to that. Most people don't really have that as a goal or don't really want to work to that as a goal. So, you know, again, context is, is important there. So it's just, it was just a really funny kind of typical, fitness social media experience that i got to witness like over the course of a few days because it started with a typical like clickbaity type post which is a problem in and of itself because there's no context and then the response which was like overwhelmingly like the turkish getup is amazing uh was equally out of context as well so it's just uh it just shines a light on what is a symptom of the overall fitness industry and how we discuss uh certain topics so let's talk about the clickbait part of this real quick. Now, here's the problem with you and I being middle of the road and saying you're a centrist. It's it's both it's both overrated and underrated, right? So guess what? Nobody's going to click on our shit to listen to it. The people that click are yeah. the ones who right? There's nothing cool about being in the middle and being rational no it's really cool to take a stance that nobody that one segment of the group doesn't like and then then putting your foot down and sticking with your stance and fighting the other stance nothing nothing ever comes of it nobody's mind is changed and nobody is have you ever seen an independent president don't don't get me started. There's these these polarizing ideas that get people to click on your stuff and to engage in conversation. And I guess, I mean, maybe our podcast would do better if we would make stances like that. But for some reason, we always end up on episode eight. We are ending up somewhere in the middle. Yep. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe we should be more controversial uh, each week. And I guess it's it's a good reminder, like when you look at social media, especially from something like it was Men's Health, like their job is to sell magazines and nobody's buying magazines. So their job is to sell online subscriptions. Their job is to get eyeballs. So like they're going to put up content like that, that is going to, you know, I bet that's their best post. As pissed right. as a bunch of people were, this there's month. equally as amount of, amount of people who were like, yes, I love this, right? And so uh, for them, it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative, they had eyeballs. 
And so, again, remember when uh, you're on social media that, you know, everything that you see, for the most part, is being done to get attention for something else. That includes us. I want people to watch this podcast. I want people to uh, go to a CFSC course. I want people to subscribe to NBFC TV. I think they're great products and I believe in them. But everything on social media is curated. And so if you get upset by what you see somebody uh, doing, uh, realize that it's it's going to be curated to get that response from you, whether it's positive or negative. Yeah, we're, I mean, like, as you said, we're, we're here selling too. <laughs> we're, uh, <Yeah. laughs> we're no saints either. Um, and we're hoping to educate people, but also let people know about what we do, which we like to think is more in the middle of the road, like Goldilocks porridge, right? So not too hot, no, not too cold, but just right. Again, we're not going to be the right cup of tea, though, for certain people are going to see us as too far one way or not far enough the other way. And uh, you, you, I, it probably took me 10 years, honestly, to realize that you can't make everybody happy. So for the first 10 years of my career, I spent a lot of time trying to win everybody my way and change my my tone, my opinion, my whatever to fit each individual to try to get them to agree with me or to like me or to buy into my philosophy. Uh, and I guess I've maybe maturity or experience. Um, I've realized that like this, you're, you shouldn't agree with everything on this podcast. You shouldn't agree with everything that Kevin and I say. I mean, it's, it's just us discussing what we think and believe what we've seen. And then you're left up to make the judgment for yourself, whether or not you agree, or maybe, maybe it just makes you think or revisit maybe other th things that you used to believe. Um, that's that's really the goal of, of the podcast, but also why we are probably so middle of the road um, is because we understand that uh, from all pro and I would say it's mostly from our teaching um, mm -hmm. specifically for the CFSC, but doing a lot of mentorships is that a lot of the answers come down to context. So how many people are you training at a time? Are you doing group training? Are you doing personal training? Are you training athletes? Are you training people 40 plus? Like that's going to change my answer depending mm -hmm. on more of the context. And a lot of these articles don't supply any of the context. They just make a hard stance to try to get people to buy a subscription or to, uh, get more views on whatever, whatever it is, whatever platform it is that they're on. Well said. Uh, I wanted to note that I switched my beer. Um, ah. So now this is another Lord Hobo. This is a St. Patrick's Day special. St. Patrick's Day is Thursday. Uh, this is oh. an Imperial oatmeal, oatmeal Stout called Dublin. Very strong choice, aggressive choice for me at 845 on a Sunday. But uh Got to do what I got to do to support the podcast here. So I'll enjoy that. You going to get some uh, more wine? Is that why you're off screen right now, Brendan? You can't hear me. So um, I think that was a good discussion you, you about, would be correct. about social media in general. 
Oh, what you? Oh, you got your Trader Joe bottle. Nice. Got my Trader Joe bottle. <laughs> um, well, I, another thing, I want to highlight this great shirt that I got here from. If you're on the YouTube, you can see. I said the YouTube, like I'm like an old person. Uh, <laughs> the YouTube. Uh, this is what I got the, this from Kenny's uh, Strong New York. Uh, so Kenny Santucci, oh. great host uh, for the CFSC in New York uh, last week. And uh, we were at his gym, Stronger New York, and he gave me this sweet. It looks like an 80s rock band tour t-shirt, which I really liked. So, yes, it does. I, I thought it was like a shirts. corn. I thought it was like a corn or a slipknot t-shirt. What, what if I had a corn t-shirt on? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looked like. It's awesome. Oh, my I God. Yeah, so uh, uh, he's got great merch. He, I, I went to his gym, and I was like, oh, man, I got to step my merch game up. Um, because oh, pretty unbelievable stuff. There. You know, tell me you're a millennial without telling me you're a millennial. You just abbreviated merchandise to merch. Well, I, I that balanced off me saying the YouTube. So the, uh, uh, this is not, true. There you you went from one one generation to the other quickly. Yeah. So, well, this will go on to our next question here. So I got a great question, um, just about warm up sets and uh, how do we program. So I had a guy uh, Jethro. Bartlings, who's from Canada. He did a CFSC with me years ago in Winnipeg, actually, when I was up with uh, Megan Pomeranski, and he sent me a message that looks at our programming on NBSC TV, and he said, like, looking at your program, I don't see a lot of warm-up sets uh, programmed in. Do you guys program warm-up sets? And if so, how do you program them? And his, to give you context and how he saw that, is, like, we share our programs on NBSC TV. Everything we do, we put on there, and typically – if you're looking at our group programs, there's no more than three to four sets of exercise um, that are pre-programmed in. Never more than four. Sometimes with cleans, we have four sets of three. Sometimes with deadlifts, we have four sets. Or bench, there might be four sets. Um, but other than that, it's like three or four. And um, so I think his perspective in looking at it was like, are those all working sets or are those warm-up sets? And to give you an idea, it might be deceiving to some people. We really only do one or two real work sets per exercise per workout. And so there's always warm-ups. In fact, the majority of what they do might be workup or warm-up type sets in a in a program. And so like for instance, if someone was bench pressing and they were going to end at like 265 for 5, they might do uh you know 185 220 and 265 or you know, they might do, uh, if they're going to deadlift 405 for five and they have uh, four sets, we might have them do like 275, 315, do a 405 on the third set and then decide, do we, was that easy? Was it hard? Do we stay at 405 and get a second work set? Do we go down or do we go up? And so it allows us room to work, but we're really only doing one or two work sets uh, an exercise. And I think the, 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 where the disconnect sometimes is with people is they think we're doing like three or four hard work sets and exercise. And we're really only doing one to two, like real heavy sets. And, and that's really in truth, probably all you need, especially with athletes to continue getting them moving forward when considering all the competing demands they have outside of the weight room. So the other thing you need to remember as well is we're doing a warm up before we warm up 
for the, mm -hmm. the so we'll, we'll use barbell exercises, right? So I'm not getting to the gym and going right to my bench press. Like we're yes. foam rolling, we're stretching, we're doing dynamic, we're doing a uh, uh, motor control. We are doing a dynamic warm up. We're throwing med balls and jumping and doing our plyos. Then we are going to the lift. So we're warming up for 20 to 25 minutes before we even touch a weight. Mm -hmm. um, the So, for example, I have the football team that I work with. And we do five sets of five of everything. And the reason why is because there's one of me. And right now in the offseason, there's 40 of them. One of me, 40 of them. We only have really access to barbells and racks and platforms. Like we have dumbbells from five to 100, but only one set of each. So we don't have enough dumbbells. We don't have enough equipment. I don't have enough coaching. So we do five sets of five, Bill Starr's method. And we go light, medium, medium, heavy. And then we do another heavy set based off of that fourth set. So, for example, if we're going to use the bench press, light would be 95 for five. Medium would be 135 for five. Medium would be 155 for five. So a little bit more. And then the heaviest or the heavy set, we're going to go 185 for five. And so if they and then I'll ask on a scale of one to 10, how easy or hard was that? So if it was a five. We'll probably go up to 195 or maybe 205 for the last set. If it was a nine, we're going to stay at 185 again. So I let my fourth set at a five at a at, on a five by five Bill Star method dictate what the last set's going to be, and I just use an RPE. Everybody, not everybody, most people have a relative RPE scale, and it's pretty similar for everybody. Some people, it's going to be different than others, right? So my four is different than your four, which is different than somebody else's four. But if it's a five or less, I'm probably going to go up. If it's a five or more, I'm going to stay at the same weight. Uh, so I let kind of the athlete tell me if we're going to go up or not based off of what they're, per or actually if I know the athlete well enough, right? So this is about creating relationships. I'll get to know what everybody's relative. There's some athletes that are literally just a three for everything. <laughs> I, I was a three. <laughs> and like, uh, I clearly watched you do that and you really struggled on the last one. That wasn't a three. So do the same weight again. But yeah, so it's building those relationships. But yeah, the 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 general idea is we want that one, there, one or two money sets. I call them money sets. So mm -hmm. your fourth or fifth set is your money set. That's your growth set. That's where you're going to put on the muscle mass. And I want that to be a really, really, I want you to struggle. If it, if it's five reps, I want you to struggle at reps four and five. I don't want you to miss them, but I want them to be hard. If it's 10 reps, I want eight, nine, and 10 to be difficult. I don't want them to be easy. So we're basically doing the first four sets to get to the fifth and final money set. Yeah, that's a good point. And you brought up a really good kind of perspective and context point again, where you said like, listen, if you're warming up and you're throwing med balls and you're skipping and you're shuffling and you're doing ladders and you're doing all that other stuff, you're going to be warm by the time you get to the weight room, right? Yeah. And so you don't need to spend much time. You want to maybe get some reps with that specific exercise, but you are off building other qualities 
in the gym before that. You were doing, you were developing power, you were developing movement skills and all that. Things that get you better at your sport or get you better at your end activity, but they also serve as warm up ultimately, right? Especially right. in the gen pop population who they're never really not training to get better at a sport, but they're doing those things and it serves as a warm up. So the amount of time you need to devote to warming up for a specific lift is significantly reduced. Whereas like so, power lifter listening to this, like they probably just do a couple arm swings, a couple, couple heel the butts. And then they're like, all right, I'm going to get like six sets of bench in, which makes sense though, because they haven't really yeah. done anything else. And so when, again, when I hear the powerlifters be like, you don't need to do warm up, just do like squat an empty bar and then bench an empty bar and then put one plate on. I get for them, that makes sense. But in the context that most people are going to exercise in, that's a little more holistic and they're developing more qualities over the course of the session, then they probably don't need to do warm up for that lift as much because they've generally raised their body temperature, increased their central nervous system activity, rehearsed patterns for that training session and competition in the warm up. Like we do push ups, we do body weight squats, we do split squats, we do crawls, we do skips, we do med ball throws. All those things are going to get you ready. So then you just probably get some a couple, one or two light sets and then you're, you're lifted. You beat me to it. So I was going to tell everybody last week I posted the power lifting picture of you and I from 12 years ago. So Kevin and I Let's did go. a powerlifting competition. God, what we were tw probably 20 years old, and that's how we used to live. Ago. We used to, yeah, 12 years ago. So yeah, it was. I was 21. You were 22, and we we used to lift like that. So we would go into the gym and you know do a couple like slap the back of my shoulder, stretch my chest, and then we would bench press the bar for 25 reps. Then yeah, you would put that. on 25s <laughs> and you would do 95 for 15. Then you would put on 135, you do 135 for 12. Then you would go 155, 185, 205, 225, 245, 255, 265, and then 275 was your final set. So you would do 8 to 12 sets of bench press. And now, I mean, yeah, there was a whole warm up of like six or seven sets, and it was warm up specific. Mm -hmm. for the working sets were going to be 225 or more. And then we would go do the same thing for the squat and we would go do the same thing for the deadlift. You know, start the deadlift by just deadlifting the bar for 15. Then you'd go 135, 185, 225, 275, 315. And you'd, so that was our warmups. But again, I, I like that you use the word holistic, a more holistic, well-rounded program that we're going to dispense as trainers of the average person or the average athlete uh, who isn't powerlifting. I don't, I, I do not train powerlifters for a living um, and they do not pay my bills. Uh, and most powerlifters train themselves six days a week. I don't know anybody who trains powerlifters for a living personally. There's probably a small subset of trainers who do, and that's probably no one who is listening to this podcast. <laughs> because if we haven't alienated not... you by now, we will eventually. <laughs> yes, yes. Powerlifters are not going to listen to this podcast. Um, so, yeah, there's uh, – it, it's – I'm 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 gonna step back for a second. <laughs> Hold on, let me. Uh, I was gonna try to bring this picture up uh, right now just to oh, share for for the for just the for pure entertainment. So uh, yeah, let me uh, <laughs> let me find it real quick. Here we go. I even had a mohawk and 
Oh, you did have a mohawk. Oh, God. It's supposed to be coming yeah, up I, right now. I shaved my head with a mohawk thinking I was um, pretty cool, even though my bench there, press you, was... Did you see that? Yes. Oh, shit. We did. Hold on, hold on, uh, hold on. Let me bring it I back. I bench pressed, I, I believe, I'm 295 that day, and I deadlifted 465. So we weren't the best power lifters, that's for sure. Not even close. Can we just we discuss that powerlifting meet, Brendan? Can we discuss yeah. that powerlifting meet for a moment? Well, we Brendan? might as well. We're, because... I think we're we're done with everything else, yeah, so we so, might as well discuss so the powerlifting Let's take a look meet. at this picture. Can we? A few things I want to observe <laughs> um, about this picture as we go into it. One, my trophy is much larger than yours. Yes. Um, yep. Also, Mike looked at this the other day, and the first thing he said to me, he goes, "Have you grown since then?" Um, because you're significantly taller than me in this picture. And although you have remarkably long femurs, um, you are not that much taller than me. So I don't know if I'm slouching or if I've gotten taller. Um, but yeah, this, this was a good meet. Um, this was done somewhere in Peabody. So not far from where I live now. Um, and this was one of the most, uh, interesting powerlifting meets. I, I've been to a number. I competed in a number of powerlifting meets in my life. And this was one of so the most interesting in, in that there, it was a complete shit show as far as how it was organized. Uh, there's no, we there's no sugarcoating that. I think, we were, I think we were there for 10 or 12 hours, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and not only was there the traditional lifts, the squat, the bench, the deadlift, but there was a trap bar for reps competition, I believe. There was, I remember a guy yep. doing like 500 for like 17 reps with a trap bar um, <laughs> with, a, with a belt. Then I remember a strict curl competition, if I can remember yep. that correctly. Yeah, you say, yeah, they had to stand yeah, up to against stand, something. And, yeah, you had to yeah. stand up against the brick pillar and you weren't allowed yeah, to leave the curl. brick pillar. And curl. the yeah. characters at this meet um were like no one else i still have that picture somewhere um, yes <laughs> and uh, of some of the people that were there that was um something but that was my first powerlifting meet you took me to my first powerlifting meet there and then uh continued to live with steve bunker afterwards but that was quite <laughs> an experience at that gym you can just see the gym in the background what it looked like you could only imagine this was on like the fourth yeah, floor was- of a warehouse of an old so yeah of an old i think it was like an old sawmill or something (laughs) Mm -hmm. it was it was uh janky very janky uh yeah drink to janky yeah yeah for sure so um but a good experience for us for sure and then we went back i remember we went directly back to umass and went to mcmurphy's with our trophies and drank to the bar closed so it was a success you actually your parents took us out to dinner first Yes, then we went. Yeah, I remember Bruce and Bruce and Karen took us out to dinner first. Then we went back to UMass with our trophies, and yeah, went immediately to the bar. That was yeah. those were the days. <laughs> well, all right. What's now, your now book recommendation? I have this one right here. This is um, I had this. You know what? I, it's due that I recommend this book because okay. I have probably bought copies of this book or recommended this book to more people than I can imagine. And this is my third copy of it um, that I've had. So this is not like an exciting book. Just I'm going to preface it this way. Got it. All right. Um, And this is Kinesiology of the Musculoskeletal System, Foundations for Rehabilitation by Donald Newman. Yep. Sounds exciting. Um, Yeah. But 
This is probably the best anatomy book, and I have written an anatomy book, so take that with a grain of salt, uh, <laughs> that you could buy. Because if you're, trying to, <laughs> if you're trying to learn anatomy as a trainer or a therapist, and you want to learn like uh, real applied anatomy as far as sports injuries go and exercise prescription go, outside of uh, Functional Training Anatomy by Kevin Carr and Mary Kay Fight, available on Human Kinetics and Amazon today, um, this is probably one of the best books you could read. Um, I have read it a number of times. It's a large book. You see there's lots of things sticking out because I write notes. But very, 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 very good. Very thorough. Um, gives you a really good overview of the entire human body and how things work. And to be honest, me writing uh, functional training anatomy, definitely many of the things that I learned and wrote about were influenced by this specific text. I bought it for a number of our staff members. And so if you're looking for a very thorough anatomy text that will help you get better, I would look into kinesiology of the musculoskeletal system. All right. So we do so much content and podcasts and I can't even remember. I don't believe I said this yet, but, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Never lose a customer again by Joey Coleman. You talked about it, but I don't think you actually recommended it. Um, okay. So, so yeah, yeah we ahead. talked about it now. Uh, what I, it, this book has a ton of really, really good strategies and like actionable things that you can do in today's world. I think, for example, uh, the Dale Carnegie book, that book was written in the 1930s. It's still very applicable today. But if you want like today's, like how to provide an incredible customer service, it's never lose a customer again by Joey Coleman. And he go he goes on. I think my favorite stuff is about initial contact with somebody who is interested in your product and how to create a unique experience for that individual without making it a complete burden on yourself. Like, so that's the thing that a lot of people get caught up on that if you want to create, um, if you want to over deliver or make it individualized. So, I mean, the perfect example is how we, we don't pro we don't write individual programs. We mm-hmm. write one program and then individualize it to each person. So Joey Coleman does the same thing for marketing and customer service is he creates one system or one program for everybody and then individualizes it for each person who calls in depending on what they're looking for. And I'll use, he uses uh, videos as an example. So like you have a standard video or email, right? A, a customer email that when somebody is a lead and they're interested in your product, you there's a custom email or there's an email that you send to that person. And then Mm -hmm. he explains how you can customize it. So it can be as simple as like, Hey, Kevin. And like you hold up a sheet of paper that says Kevin on it. So they know you actually took the time to make a specialized video for them. Welcome to the movement as medicine podcast. Thanks for listening. Like that little touch point that takes you less than 30 seconds to do he has all the data on like how much more you can sell and how many more people will actually sign up and continue to work with you by making that one small touch point. So that's just one example from the book that 
uh, I loved and that I actually use for strengthcoach.com. So whenever I see there's a new member, I send them a personalized video that says, hey, Kevin, thanks for signing up on strengthcoach.com. Here's what I recommend for the next 30 days of your trial. Um, and I, I make it to that person. I don't, um, I don't have a standard video that I send everybody. It's amazing. So just one very one good book. Tidbit, that's, a, that's a book. That's like a reread book. Like one you have to yes. like re-reference frequently. Like that's a good one as a business owner or even just someone who works somewhere. Right. Because it's the same principles to, to think about. So I've read it twice. And I, now that it came up last week in a forum question, and now I have to read it a third time for that reason. Nice. Well, uh, we're coming up on an hour. Your wine glass is empty. Yeah, um, it is. You know, I think this was a great episode. I enjoyed it very much. It, we probably have alienated the kettlebell crowd, the powerlifting crowd, the people at Men's Health all in one episode. So that's um, fine with me as long as it made them pretty think. good. That's <laughs> that's all my goal is, is to get people to rethink I mean, I like to rethink. I mean, that's what I love about these conversations too, is it makes us think and research and do our own homework on each topic. So that's all I hope this does for everybody else. So if they, if I remember, like I said, we're not going to make everybody happy with this thing. So be happy, Brendan. (laughs) That's all. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next time. Take care, everyone. See you, Kev. Thank you.